Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how God gave Noah a covenant to come into the ark and to keep anyone alive that came in with him. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from this week's messages. When Noah saw the ark, some people saw just a boat, but Noah saw God's provision. Some people look at the ark, they saw a boat, but Noah saw God's faithfulness. You, if you're Noah, you've never seen a flood. You've never seen an overflowing of waters. You can't even really imagine it, what it is. You can't imagine what it's like. And all you know is it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad because God said he's going to use it to destroy. Noah's looking at this thing and saying, is it really going to work? It's this gigantic, massive structure. But he had to simply trust and obey. That was Noah. He had to trust and obey. Because God said, you don't need to know. It's just going to work. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study in Genesis. The come is God's invitation. The Noah went in of verse 7 is Noah's response. In the time between verse 1 and verse 7, Noah could have said, you know, what about my friends? What about my aunts and my uncles and my nieces and my nephews and my cousins? If I go into this ark, I'll be saying that I believe they will all perish. I'll be leaving them. I'll be deserting them. I don't want to do it. He could have. But he could have said that and decided not to go into the ark. So that's why those words in verse 7 are so important because that's where he actually responded and acted on God's invitation. He was invited to come. He came. But the come of verse 1 is the same invitation, as we mentioned already, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, when the Lord Jesus Christ says, Come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So like with Noah, everyone comes to a point of verse 7, where they either accept the invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ for an eternal rest, or refuse the invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 1, there is a very, very important word after the word come. And that's the word thou. Come thou. The invitation is not just a general come. It's a come you. Come thou. Thou makes the invitation very, very personal. Very, very individual. It's not just a general invitation. It's not like this, this invitation came to Noah with a printed name on it. This was a handwritten envelope by God with Noah's name on it. And that's the same invitation than in Matthew eleven twenty eight. because although it says, come unto me all, as in anyone and everyone, ye that labor and are heavy laden, he says, and I will give all of you rest. It doesn't say that. He says, come all, as a general invitation, but then he says, and I will give you rest. That's a very important word that he says there, you rest. So, what does it mean? It means that the come thou of Genesis 7-1 and the you of Matthew 11-28 emphasize that God individualizes and personalizes his invitation. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he makes the gospel invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes it personal and makes it individualized. That's why people sometimes say, will say, you know, I was in the church meeting and I was listening to a sermon and I felt the preacher knew me. I felt the preacher was talking to me, nobody else. That's the Holy Spirit's work to the making the plugging in the thou 
like it is there in verse 7, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. So Noah was invited personally to come into the ark. Now picture Noah in verse 7. He's made his decision. He's gone now inside the ark. He's no longer on the outside now. He's now on the inside. And what does he see? Noah looks around. and well, Look at chapter 6, verse 14. What do you think? Uh, right, what, right after God told Noah to make the ark, what did God tell Noah to do when he made the ark? Yeah, to pitch it or tar it all over the inside of the ark and all over the outside of the ark. I don't know, maybe Noah lived close to a La Brea tar pit or something like that, but he had a lot of tar. And he was pitch all over. So Noah thought to himself, you know, he's inside the ark. He says, tar, tar everywhere. I see all around tar, tar inside the ark. I remember all the tar outside the ark. There's tar everywhere. And there's one thing I know about this ark. It is watertight. This ark is watertight. Why? Because it's got tar all over the inside and outside. This is one watertight boat. This ark is safe. So the tar or the pitch represented for Noah safety, watertightness or safety. So when Noah looked at the tar, he saw safety. He felt security. When Noah saw the tar, Noah felt safe. In Hebrew, the word for pitch here is the word kafar which means covering, covering. As a matter of fact, 70% of the time when this word is used in the Old Testament, it's translated atonement. It means covering. Yom Kippur, you know, the day of atonement, the day of covering. On the day of Passover, when the lamb was killed at every home and blood was put over the door and on the door, two doorposts, it says, as you know, in Exodus 20, 12, 13, and the blood shall be to you for in a token upon the houses where ye are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So God said that when he saw the blood, he would pass over, but God also said that when you see the blood, that that's going to be a token for you. So God was saying, when you see the blood, that will make you feel safe. And when God saw the blood, he would spare them from judgment. The blood represented atonement, represented the covering, like the pitch for Noah. There's only one shelter from God's safety, from God's wrath. There's only one safety from God's wrath, and that's to be under the covering or the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now as we picture Noah sitting down inside the ark and looking at the pitch, and again, it's the same word as as covering and atonement, and he's feeling very safe, and what happens, we look at the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the doorpost, so to speak, and over the door of our hearts, and we feel safe, like he did. Now, after Noah went into the ark, we can picture those on the outside saying, well, where's Noah? Where's Noah today? Where's Noah? And of course, the answer is, Noah's inside the ark. Noah's way inside the ark. Noah's hidden inside the ark. Can't see him. Now, you freeze that picture in your mind and of Noah safely uh, inside the ark there, kind of hidden away inside the ark. And you keep that in mind and you put in the verse, Colossians 3.3. 3, For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So that's a picture of Noah. It's a picture of us, see. We are hid, like Noah's hid in the ark, surrounded by this pitch tar with Christ in God. We are hid as well. So just as Noah's life was safely hidden deep inside the ark, our lives are safely hidden deep inside the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as Noah was hidden inside the ark 
and looked at the pitch and he felt secure about it, we deeply hidden in God look at the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we feel securely protected. So hidden deep in the ark, Noah was in a place of just perfect safety. Now, Noah was in the ark and we read verse 16. And they went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded and the Lord shut him in. So Noah's sitting inside the ark as God told him. And Noah wonders, <laughs> anybody remember to shut the door? <laughs> Turn the lights out and shut the door. No, he says, uh, who's going to shut the door? Right? And so Noah hears the door of the ark shut. And then Noah understands God shut the door of the ark. And that was very important for Noah. He remembers. He says, he said, you know, it's a bad thing if the door of the ark is left open, right? <laughs> the ark will sink, you know, so it's not good. But God remembered to shut the door, unlike me. So who shut the door? God shut the door of the ark. Noah thought on that fact. And he said, you know, God shut the door of the ark. Once, once I made the decision to accept God's invitation to go inside the ark, my safety was no longer my responsibility. It's God's responsibility. I did my part. God is going to do his part. And that included, in this case, shutting the door. So he shut the door. God shut the door was a statement to Noah of how God would take care of Noah. We can imagine Noah going to his family inside the ark, and you know they might be a little bit nervous, can imagine. Anyway, but he says, don't worry, just repeat to yourself these words. God shut the door. God shut the door. Because the truth that God shut the door gave to Noah an increased sense of security. So it says in 1 Peter 1.5, that it's speaking about us, it says, who are kept by the power of God. Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. But that phrase, kept by the power of God, after coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, God has taken the responsibility to take care of us. And we are kept by the power of God. So Romans 8.32 talks about the Lord making the decision to spare not his only son, his own son. And it says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also give us all things? So there's the question. He says, if he did that, if he didn't spare his son, then he's going to give us all good things. He shut the door. He's going to take care of us. God shut the door. He didn't care. It was a bad thing if the door was left open. God shut the door. So this was very, very important. So just as Noah meditated on the fact that God shut him in and knew that God would take care of him, we meditate on the fact that God sped not his own son, so God's going to take care of us. Now Noah says to himself, I've accepted God's invitation to come into the ark. I'm in the ark. Now it's God's responsibility to take care of me. And we say, I've accepted God's invitation to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's responsibility to take care of me. Now, when we look at something very interesting, because we look at, at chapter 6, and there's a little detail there, which we don't want to miss. And that is in verse 21, where he says, And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt eat of gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. See, that little phrase, to keep them alive, is very, very important. It means so much to us as we think about that. Because it explains to us how God is, again, caring for us, and how he's taken this responsibility to take care of us. And that's a wonderful thing. 
So in order to be made sure they kept alive, he says, food, you need food. That's why the Lord says to us, it's either going to be you or it's going to be God. When he says, taking up thought, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? Do you want to worry about it or do you want to let God do it? Because if you want to worry about it, then God says, that's fine, I have other things to do. But God says, don't do that. Trust that he has the responsibility to take care of you, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and how you're being clothed and so forth. And so we see that in Genesis. And so he tells them to bring in the food. And evidently, I don't know, he didn't say bring in two gazelles and two zebras for every lion to kill. So I don't know, Yeah, they must have all been herbivores. Anyway, so as Noah's thinking about the ark and shutting the door of the ark, he's saying to him, He's thinking back and he says, you know, that's funny about how God told me to build this ark in Genesis 6, 16. He said, a window shalt thou make to it and a cubit finish above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. And he's sitting there he's thinking, you know, that's kind of strange. There's only one door in this ark. Just one door, only one door. It's a pretty large boat to have just one door. Not even an emergency door, you know, that's a requirement. But he says, there's only one door. So the point here is that if anyone was going to get into that ark, they had to go through that door, that one single door. Only one door into this ark, no other door coming in by that door. Of course, then we remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be safe and shall go in and out and find pasture. So just as God's ark only had one door, God has only one door into heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Noah could have been thinking more, and he says, you know, a window. Now when it says a window, you know, don't think of double-pane, triple-pane glass and all that. That's not what's meant there. It means opening, about 18 inches. And it was underneath the roof, and so there was this opening. Very effective for ventilation, very good. Keeps the ark dry, but it also keeps it ventilated. But... What's interesting about that is that Noah, from the inside, when he looks up, he says to himself, you know, I can't really see the earth. I can only see the heavens. That's all I can see. And that picture of Noah sitting there, not able to see the earth, but only seeing the sky, is a picture for us. Because the uh, verses that go above the one we considered a bit earlier are this. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, in this verse, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Terrible destruction was happening, was occurring on earth at that time. And that could have been very disturbing, very distracting for Noah. And so God has an opening, but that opening only looks up to the sky. That's all he can see. That's the way God wants it for us. There's so many terrible things happening in the earth today. Very easy for us to get disturbed and distracted with the moral deterioration of our country and the loss of our rights and taking our guns away and so forth. I don't have any guns, but anyway. And these can be very disturbing distractions. But just as God had Noah have just one opening for him to look out at, God wants us to set our affection on the Lord Jesus Christ, on things above. Now, I think this is where we're going to stop for this morning, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the faithful God, for being the providing God, for being the God who provides a way for us to escape, the saving God. Thank you, Lord, for taking the responsibility for our safety. Thank you for, Lord, giving us guidance on how to be saved. Just only think, Lord, that in that whole trip on the ark, nobody died. 
Lord, no human deaths, no animal deaths. And every animal came out alive. And all of Noah's family came out alive. And Lord, we're looking forward to the time when we get to heaven. And just like Noah was amazed that they were all alive, we'll be amazed too to see how you lost none. Thank you for hearing us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom, today you talked about how we set our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say about how we benefit when we set our focus on Him? You know, the first thing that's really interesting is that, is that setting our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ is 100% our choice. God will never force us to set our focus on Him. As a matter of fact, God sets before us Many, many, many things for us to set our focus on, for us to become distracted on, and it's our choice as to whether or not we're going to set our focus on him. He wants us to set our focus on him. And so we have a history in Luke chapter 10 about two individuals, and one of them set her focus, two women, one of them set her focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, and another one um, had her focus not on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's what the passage says in Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now it came to pass as they went that they entered, that they that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So here we have two sisters. We have Martha. And Martha is, as the Lord said, she is uh, all worked up. She's all cumbered about. She's troubled is the word. She's disturbed about many things, many things that were related to serving. Now, serving needed to be accomplished, yes. But this was a time when the master was present, when the Lord Jesus Christ was then in the, there in the, in the midst. And so this was a time when Martha, she was distracted away from setting her focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And her focus was the, was therefore on, is all the place set? Is all the food prepared? Is everything, is the beverages ready? Is there many things? Is the place swept? I don't know. It just says many things. And we can imagine how many things. But whereas her focus was on many things, the Lord said about Mary, one thing just one thing. So the question is, what benefit do we have when we when we set our focus on him? For one thing, life gets so beautifully simple. It's not a case of, oh, this and that, and my head is just going crazy because I'm being torn from this side to that side. But he says, one thing. And he says, one thing is needful. This is what now, the other should be done. But, but in comparison, he said what Mary had done was needful. This is what we need to do. This is what we must do. And this is a choice. That's why he said Mary has chosen. And it's called a good part the good part. And he says, and I will make sure that this is not taken away from her. It's very interesting in the tabernacle of the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the place where God met with man. A, God met with man in the inner place in the Holy of Holies, 
over the ark in that lid area called the mercy seat. And that's where God met with man. And what's so interesting about that mercy seat is that there were two cherubims at either side over this lid with their wings in a protecting position there. And they're looking at each other. And cherubims always protect God's interests. And so whenever you and I decide we are going to meet with God, we are going to choose that good part. We are going to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, as symbolized by those cherubims, God says, and I will make sure that that is not taken away from you. I will make a way for you to meet with me, for you to worship me. Because what was Mary doing? It says so clearly here that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. That's what it means to focus on him. Sitting at his feet is to call him Lord. It's to worship him as God, as to say he is the Adonai. He is my master. He is the one who is my ruler. To hear his word is to be immersed in the word of God, which is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to be It is to be totally consumed with his word. As he said, when he was referring to the analogy of the manna falling from heaven, he said, what happened? Your life depended on it. Your life depended on it. So you looked up and mysteriously and miraculously bread fell from the skies and you ate that bread. And that was all done to teach you a lesson, the Lord Jesus Christ said. Well, actually, Moses said, but the Lord Jesus Christ repeated it. He said, he humbled you and made you to know. By that experience, he humbled you. By that experience, he made you to know. What did he make him to know? That man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God doth man live. What was Mary doing? She was living as she was sitting at Jesus' feet, and she was hearing his word. And as she was sitting at his feet, we can see the picture. She's sitting at his feet. She's looking up at him. His mouth is speaking. The words are falling from his mouth on her. And she's eating those words. And she's living inside. And that's the picture that God had that Moses was telling about the manna that falling from heaven. And that's the picture that we see here. And that's the picture also that he says, I want you to look at that, Martha, because Mary is doing the one thing that is needful. What's the one thing needful? Worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and living on his word. In other words, every word that comes out of his mouth, every word from the Bible, recognizing that comes out of the mouth of God and just consuming it, thinking about it, meditating on it, incorporating it into our lives, obeying it. That's all what's meant by sitting and hearing his word. It's not just means to become aware of his word, but it's like, oh, he said this. I was looking for something that I could claim as a promise. I just heard it. That's good. I'll do it. I was looking for something that I could obey that I haven't obeyed in the past. That's good. I got it. I'll do it. That's what it means to hear his word and to hear his word because that's what the Shema is all about. It's putting the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. That's the next verse after the Shema. In other words, hear, O Israel, set your focus, set your affections on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ, such that you love him with all of your heart, such that you love him with all of your soul, such that you love him with all of your might. And what will be, as you ask the question, what will be one of the benefits as we set our focus on him is Isaiah 26, 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, just like the stays on a mast of a ship. They hold that mast up when the wind comes and wants to knock it down. Oh no, those stays are holding that mast up. So God says, you be the stays that keep your mind set on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, set your affection on things above. His mind is stayed on thee. Why are we kept in perfect peace? Because our mind is stayed on him and because we trust in him. That's what David meant when he said in Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. So what are the benefits? A perfect peace, a perfect peace, a perfect peace is a peace with God and it's a peace of God. When I receive the Lord Jesus Christ, I have peace with God, but only as I set my mind on him do I have the peace of God, a perfect peace, and that for a perfect stability, because he's on my right hand, I shall not be moved. So therefore, we set our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget that friendshipwithgod.org has free copies of today's message as well as previous messages. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Now, our new website has some new features where you can sign up for a Tom Cantor daily devotional verse that will come directly to your phone or email. So go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, to get a free copy of today's message as well as sign up for the daily devotional verse from Tom Cantor. You can also sign up for our newsletter while you're there and learn about our Summer Blitz campaign to reach 1 million lost Jewish people in 17 Jewish cities this summer. And each week we'll be putting out some information on that. We've got 12 weeks of Jewish outreach trying to reach 1 million doors, and we need your prayerful participation that God would bless this campaign to reach lost Jewish people with the gospel. They can also sign up for a free Tom Cantor gospel gift on our website, friendshipwithgod.org, and we can send that to you, or you can call us at 1-800-247-3051. 